Well, we get out to finish up the book of Nehemiah tonight. So thankful that uh, we've been able to make this journey together. Nehemiah is an incredible book. Uh, next week, we'll start going through the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, we'll spend time in those great books in the New Testament. And, uh, but we're going to wrap up the book of Nehemiah. But tonight, we're going to talk about return, simply returning. Uh, the problem is oftentimes we return to sin. We return to the old ways. We return to who we used to be. In fact, there's a scripture about that in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 when it simply says this, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. It says, But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that is washed to her wallowing in the mire. In other words, the idea is a return to what we obviously know is just going to happen. It's just who we have been. And you think about that. How many, how many of you have dogs? Anybody have any dogs? All right. Let me ask you a question. If your dog vomits, and I know you are sitting here thinking, I cannot believe we're talking about this in church. But if your dog vomits, what does the dog do? It starts licking it and eating it, right? And you're sitting there going, that is disgusting. And you're telling your dog not to do it. But guess what? That's the dog's nature, right? To return to his vomit. In other words, if he does it, he's going to eat it. That's just like a pig. You know what? It blows me away. I've seen these people, and they go to, and we used to have a lady in our first church, and every time I talked about pigs, she used to get mad at me, all right? Because she had a pet pig. And I told her, I said, and, you, and I told her, I said, you probably gave that thing a buttermilk bath, didn't you? And you probably tried to put a bow around its ear. And you probably tried to put a ring in its snout. And you tried to do everything you could to make that pig look pretty. And I said, I guarantee you, every time it rained and it got muddy, what did your pig do? It rolled in the mud, didn't it? Because that's just the nature of a pig. The sad thing is he uses that analogy for us as human beings that it is our nature to return to sin. How sad is that? And we've been talking about Nehemiah, and we've been talking about what a great job he's done. He's gone in there, he's rebuilt the walls, he's reestablished a spiritual atmosphere in the land of Israel. He's done some great and mighty things. He's really made things so much better in Israel. And sadly, he even got them to make a covenant with God that they were going to change a lot of the things that they had been doing. And now all of a sudden, guess what's going to happen? They're going to return to their sin. Isn't that sad? It is a vicious cycle that Israel went through. If you ever read the book of Judges, it is a vicious cycle of Israel returning their sin. God forgiving them when they repent of their sin. God restoring them and blessing them. And then they return to their sin again. And it's just a vicious cycle over and over. And a lot of times people will read the Old Testament and they'll read Israel and they go, man, that was a bunch of stupid people. Right? Every one of us has probably looked at that and said, man, that is a bunch of foolish people. It did no matter what God did. They just kept returning. Have you evaluated your own life? Have you noticed that you're kind of on a cycle too sometimes? And sometimes you return to your sin because the Bible says it happens. We go back to our human nature. The only way to defeat that human nature and to get away from sin is to be filled with the Spirit to where we're listening to His words instead of our own words so that we don't keep returning to our sin. Well, let's take a look at it tonight. We're going to look at Israel's return to sin and Nehemiah's call for them to return to God. So first, let's look at Israel's return to sin, beginning in verse 1. It says, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, 
And therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Now remember we talked about this separation earlier. In fact, it was something that they had covenanted that they would not do. They would not return back to the people of other nations. Now the reason why they would not return to the people of other nations, the reason why God had refused and told them to stay away from intermingling with the other nations was a religious purpose. He did not want them to draw them away from God. And that was his great fear. But not only that, he gave specific names to the Ammonites and the Moabites. Why? Because they hired Balaam to come and curse Israel. We know this story is found in Numbers chapters 22 through 24. It's a really unique story. How many of you have ever heard of Balaam's donkey? Right? Now, here's the thing. If you've heard the story of Balaam's donkey, you realize that if God can use a donkey, he can use you, right? If he can make a donkey talk, he can make you talk. When you think about it, Balaam goes down. He has been hired to curse Israel, but he does one smart thing. He says, I'll only say what God tells me to say. They hire him to come down and curse Israel. Four different times, instead of cursing Israel, he blesses them. He thwarts the plan of Moab, but here's the problem. Balaam goes and he does something even more foolish. He then tells the guy, he says, okay, here's what you can do. I know I can't curse them, but you can get them to intermarry with the people, and it will pull them away from God, and sure enough, That's what they did in the book of Numbers. Israel fell for it. Even though Balaam had come down there and ended up blessing them, he ended up doing everything he could to curse them and cause them problems. But you go all the way back to Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 28 through 30, and this is what they had made a covenant to do. In Nehemiah 10, begin verse 28, And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nithinims, and all that had separated themselves from the people of the lands under the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes, that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. They had entered into a curse. In other words, God, if we go against what we are covenanting to do, bring down devastation upon us. And yet, here we are in chapter 13, and what have they done? Exactly what they promised they wouldn't do. Now, we talked about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. We understand the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that it is better not to covenant with God at all than to make a covenant and break it. It's very clear. You don't make a covenant with God and then break it. And these people had made this covenant that they would be separated from these people, and yet, here again, they find themselves doing what? Intermingling with the people again. Well, look at verse 4. They go even further. It says, And before this, Elisha the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where after time they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, and the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem, For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained, I leave of the king. So in other words, Nehemiah has explained to them, he says, now here's another thing you did wrong. 
In other words, you took the chambers that were reserved for the tithe offerings, many of the tithe offerings, and you replaced it, and you gave it to an enemy of the state. Remember, Tobiah was one of those that stood against Israel. He was one of those that was trying to torment them for rebuilding the walls. He was one of them that was trying to get them to disobey God. And now they've built him a place in God's house to dwell and to live. And they've cast out the things that were being offered to God in order to give an enemy a place to stay. And Nehemiah goes, I was innocent. I wasn't there. In fact, Nehemiah had left. He had gone away, it says, and for 24 years he had left them. For 24 years, he was gone. He thought he had left them in good charge, but once he left, guess what? The old saying is, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And when Nehemiah was gone, man, they jumped all over their sin. They returned to their old ways. They got away from their covenant, and they broke what they committed to God. And boy, were they going to pay for it. In verse 7, it says, And I came to Jerusalem. And understood the evil that Elisha did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded that they cleanse the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. I love this. You know, you think about it. When Jesus went to the temple, what did he do? He flipped over tables and he chased them out with a whip and a cords. And he turned over their money. And he just, he went crazy in the temple. Why? Because they had turned his father's house into a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer. And he was very upset with them. Nehemiah did this before Jesus did. He walks in there and he finds this room and he sees all of Tobiah's stuff in there. And you could just imagine the joy he probably got out of it because it was one of his enemies. He walks in, he finds the chair of Tobiah and he just takes it out and he just tosses it. Yeah, y'all were ready for that, weren't you? (laughs) Joe's like, I'm going to get hit with a chair in church. It's not WWE wrestling, we're good. But he did, he just grabbed the stuff and he just starts tossing it out of the temple. He's so excited. He's just throwing everything out. And he goes, now we need to cleanse this place. Now we got to get this place right. And now we got to return to bringing the offerings back to God. Because you guys have taken God's house and you have defiled it. Man, could you imagine defiling God's house? We can do it. We can do it by having the wrong attitudes in God's house, can't we? We can be the defiled ones. This guy had no desire for God, had no love for God, had no love for Israel, wanted nothing but the worst things for them, and yet they're going to make him a place in the temple of God. They're going to give him residence there, and they're not going to be upset with it. And Nehemiah comes in, and what does he do? He starts throwing it out, and he's like, this is not going to happen, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Nehemiah... He wanted Israel to return and get back away from their sins. And that's where we come to the second part tonight. Nehemiah's call to return to God, beginning in verse 10. First thing he wanted them to do was to provide for God's house. He said, I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. Then I contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. And they brought all Judah and the tithe and the corn and the new wine and the oil into the treasuries. And I made treasures over the treasuries. Shalmah the priest and Zadok the scribe and the Levites and the Padiah and the next to them was Hananan the son of Zakir, the son of Mataniah. And they were accounted faithful and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices 
thereof. And you think about it. The priesthood basically left the temple because they weren't taken care of. They had to leave. They had to go find another job. They had to go find a way to take care of their families because they weren't being provided for at the temple itself because they took it all away and gave it to an enemy of the state. And Nehemiah says, this can't be. we got to return. We've got to get back to giving unto God as he deserves. You know, one of the most important ways for us to give unto God what he deserves is, number one, to simply give him what he asks for, but it's also to give him the absolute best. In the book of Malachi, chapter 1, beginning verse 6, he says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto the governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, they just gave to God whatever they wanted. They gave to God the blind, the lame, the maimed. They gave to him even something they couldn't offer to their own governor, and yet they gave it to God. Man, it's funny, sometimes people, a lot of times, I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, where they kind of give something to the church. We had a thing one time where we were trying to redo our nursery in our first church. And we went in there and we had to tear down some walls and uh, basically expand our nursery because it, it seemed like something was in the water. Everybody was having babies. And so it was great. It was awesome. We, we were excited and looking forward to it. So we were like, we need to go out there and we need to make sure that we get some new beds and we need to get some new toys. And, and all of a sudden these people said, oh, well, we'll bring you what we have. All right, we'll give it a shot. All right, so what do we end up with? We end up with Barbies that are headless, <laughs> baby dolls that are clothless, and beds that are broken. And I said, Nope, not going to do it. Why? Why would we give that stuff to the church? Because here's the thing. What it is is we wanted to clean out a closet in our house, and what better place to take it than the church, right? And that's what they did. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, man, if, that, if that's the best we have to offer, and then we're going we're gonna to bring all these babies in here, and we're going to want them to play with all this stuff that's, that's already torn up and messed up, what are we doing? That's not giving our best to God. Would you offer that to your family? Let's say your, your sister is having a baby. Would you go over to her and go, hey, I got these clothes. I know there's tears all in the knees and there's spit up all over the shirt, but your baby's going to love it. Right? We wouldn't do that to family. We wouldn't do that to friends. But yet, this is what they wanted to do for God. And oftentimes, we'll do that with our own offering. We'll give to God whatever we, we say. And I've had people say this. They say, well, I'm just going to, you know, I got to, let me see, just share my wallet. I, ooh, I got, I got a dollar. There you go, God. You should be happy with that, right? That's what I got. That's all I got. It's yours, Lord. You can have it all. But we know that's not what God asked for, is it? And oftentimes we just throw a little bit in there and we say, well, Lord, you ought to be happy that I even gave you something. 
No, it's not about giving God something. It's about giving God what he asked for. And these people had failed greatly. And because of that, the Levites and those of the priests, they had left the temple and they walked out. But he also wanted them to honor the Sabbath. Look at verse 15. In those days saw I and Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses as wine, also grapes, and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought unto Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all the kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them why lodge ye about the wall if you do so again i'll lay hands on you from that time forth came they no more on the sabbath and i commanded the levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the sabbath day remember me O my god concerning this also and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy and you might say well why was the sabbath so important well you got to understand then in the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was told that they would be, what, taken away for 70 years. Do you know one of the reasons why? Was because there were 70 Sabbaths they forsook. 70-year Sabbaths they had forsaken. And for every Sabbath they had forsaken, they would be one year in deportation. The Sabbath was that important to God. We need that day of rest. We need that time to give to God. We need that Day And when he talks about here, he says, I contended with them that they not sell, that they not buy, that they not bring in. He, he even shut up the gates. He did the very same thing he had done 24 years ago. He closed up the gates and he sat on the wall and he watched them line up and set up camp waiting for the Sabbath to pass to come in. And he goes, you do it again and I'm going to throw you in jail. Man, it only took him saying it one time for them to do what? They never lodged outside the city again because they thought he was serious. He wasn't messing around. But this is the same thing. When you go all the way back to Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 31, look at the covenant they made. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell that we should not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day and that we should leave the seventh year in the exaction of every debt. That was a part of their covenant. They promised God they wouldn't do it and yet he finds them doing what? Returning to their sins. Not only that, but he talked about separating from the lost in verse 23. In those days also I saw the Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. 
Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil to transgress against our God and marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Joah, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son of the law of Sanballat and Hornite. Therefore, I chastise him from me. He was upset with them. They had done the very thing he talked about earlier. They had intermarried yet again. But look at how Nehemiah reacts. I'm going to tell you, I, you know, I, I read this and I think to myself, how many times have you ever wanted to do this? All right, look at verse 25. I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. <laughs> Grabbed their hair and pulled it out. I mean, he was mad. He was not messing around. I'm going to tell you what, I think they got the point when Nehemiah got mad, don't you? I mean, some of y'all are probably like, man, there's no way. You better believe. It says it. He smoked them. He slapped them right across the face. He wasn't messing around. He wanted to. Man, how many of you ever got slapped by your mama? Anybody ever get slapped by your mama? How many of you got slapped twice by your mama? Man, I learned my lesson the first time. I didn't do it again. Are you kidding me? Mama knocked me a week ahead in time. I lost a week. Man, I mean, he... He was making sure they got the message. I mean, pulling out hair, that, you know, that just blew me away. He just grabbed some of them by the hair. He was not going to let up. He wanted to show them. And here's the thing. A lot of people look at this and say, why did Nehemiah get so mad? I want you to understand something. He was trying desperately to spare the people of God from the wrath of God by bringing the wrath on them. Do you understand? That's what church discipline is about. It's not so much that we're trying to get people and judge people and make them feel bad for their sin. What it is, is we're trying to warn you before the wrath of God falls on your sin and we're trying to spare that from happening to you. That's what it's all about. You say, well, preacher, why do you preach on sin so much? Because I'm trying to spare you. I don't want God to smoke you himself because it will not be a slap. It may be putting you in the ground. God does not mess around, but he gives us the opportunity to get things right. Nehemiah wasn't playing around. He's like, guys, you got to get the picture. Don't do this any longer because every time you do this, it keeps dragging us away from God. It keeps pulling us away from God Almighty, and God is not going to keep taking it. He's not going to let it stand. Not only that, but he wanted to cleanse the priesthood. Verse 29. Remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all the strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. You need to understand that judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God. I can tell you this. I take what God has called me to with a very serious conviction. Because I understand that I will be judged more harshly than you. My Bible tells me, let not many of you desire to be teachers for we will receive a stricter judgment. James 3.1. A stricter judgment. 
the priesthood had failed. They had fallen short. They had allowed these things to go on. And God was going to begin right there with the priesthood and challenging and a desiring to change them. In fact, during the time of Malachi, he was a prophet that came not long after the time of Nehemiah. And he says this about the priests in Malachi 2. He says, and now... O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I'll corrupt your seed and spread dung on your faces, even the dung of your solemn feast, and no one shall take you away with it. And you shall know that I've sent this commandment unto you that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace. And I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. He first begins to tell the priest, this is who you were supposed to be. This is what you were supposed to teach the people. This is how you were supposed to lead them. But you corrupted it. You corrupted it. Nehemiah realized the corruption that went on in the priesthood, and he wanted to begin to change it there. you got to understand something. Preachers are not sinless either. We're not. We fall short too. And trust me when I say this, I understand God's judgment upon me and I try so hard to make sure that when I fail, I repent immediately because I'm a man. I am just a man. But I understand that the judgment that God is, has, is going to be on me is going to be far greater than anybody else. That's why I take very serious the word of God. Because I never want to preach anything aside from this because that's what I'll be judged for. I'll receive a stricter judgment based on the teachings of God's word. That's why I try to study it so much. Because I want to make certain that what I tell you is nothing but the truth. I speak where the Bible speaks and I shut up where it does not. That's what we're called to do. That's what God brings upon us. We've got to be careful. I tell you this tonight. You may say, well, why are you preaching on this tonight? Well, it's very simple. Because it is so easy for us to return to our sin. It is so easy for us to forget about God. It is so easy for us to, just like a pig, go back to wallow in the mud. Just like a dog to go back to our vomit. It is just as easy for us to go back to our sin and to keep going back to it because it's just who we are. It's just our nature. And oftentimes we'll make excuses and we'll say, well, God, you know it's just my nature. It's just who I am. God doesn't want your excuses. God doesn't want your excuses. He doesn't want you to return. He died so that you wouldn't return back to it. He died so that you wouldn't want to choose your sin, but you would choose your Savior over your sin. That's why he died. So here tonight, I don't know where you're at. I don't know your heart. I don't know if you've returned to some sin. I don't know what's going on in your walk with Christ. But you know your heart. You know where you're at. The idea here is to help us to understand. Here's the thing. I'm warning you. I'm warning you for simply this very reason. Because I don't want God's wrath to fall on you. 
That's the whole purpose. I remember one time I was in a church, and at this church, the pastor was preaching on David and Goliath. I thought, man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I want to hear this message, you know. It'd be interesting. I'd heard it as a kid, and I thought, man, as an adult, maybe it's going to be a little something different. And I remember he taught the lesson, and I remember walking out of there thinking to myself, man, that was pretty bad. I mean, didn't talk about anything. I mean, nothing really biblical. Just tried to tell the story of how good beats evil. And I was like, you know, it was like on a, like a little two-year-old level. And I remember this one lady, she walked out, and this is what blew me away. She goes, man, I sure do wish Harold would have been here today. We went to a church last week where all the dude did was talk about sin. And he got so discouraged and never wanted to go back to church. I was so glad to come hear a message that didn't say anything about sin. Man, I hope I can get him to come here. I'm thinking, oh, honey, please don't. Please don't. If they don't want to warn you about sin, it's typically because they're living in it. It's because they don't believe God's going to judge it. You see, I just know the holy God I serve. And I know that His holiness cannot stand our sin. And therefore, He gives us an opportunity to repent, to not return to our sin, but to return to Him. Tonight, my plea for you is simply this. If you need to return, don't waste any time. And if you're worried about somebody seeing you come up going, oh, man, they they must have something going on in their life. Well, to be honest with you, we probably all do. And we need to stop worrying about anybody else until we get the big old plank out of our eye and stop trying to pull the speck out of somebody else's. You see, if we're not careful, we can become prideful and legalistic and believe we'll not fall into sin. But the Bible makes it clear it's easy to return if we're not careful. And a lot of times it starts right up here before it ever goes into action.